Season 4 of Lycentric Radio is sponsored by Book Taco, an online program for managing independent reading in grades K through 8. Book Taco lives up to its name by getting kids who devour books. And we both know that when it comes to achievement, there's just no substitute for reading. I'll explain what I mean later on in the episode. Welcome back to Lidcentric Radio, the podcast that's a literacy coach in your pocket. I'm your host, Dr. Julie Webb. Well, I am very excited to share my phonics remote video lessons with you. They are finally ready for purchase and they're at Lidcentric.com in the shop tab. And uh, I talked about this last time in our uh, episode of Lycentric Radio, and I was in the process of developing them, and there are 37 unique lessons in there. Um, Each lesson is probably about 15 to 20 minutes long for students, and they are not those um, kind of Google point-and-click digital worksheet type of lessons. These are actual teacher-led video lessons that students uh, follow along with and do hands-on spelling and decoding and uh, reading activities. And I'm really excited about them because I know that they will benefit your students. And I know they're gonna be an easy tool for you to use to differentiate for them because you'll know which phonemes your students already know and uh, which ones they need to practice. You probably have that information already, or you can use the assessment that comes with the remote lessons. And it's very easy to do, very online friendly. Um, and the best part is they're based on the Sound Along Phonics program that I have. Now that's the classroom program I use, you know, when I'm actually in a normal classroom setting. But of course we know nowadays things have changed quite a bit, at least temporarily. And so these lessons, I've actually redesigned all of them just for remote teaching and learning. And even beyond that, I know they'll make great literacy centers. You could even use them for homework for students, especially if you wanted additional support uh, for students getting intervention at school. These would be great to send to parents and say, hey, do this at home for extra practice because a parent can easily follow along with the student. But honestly, students can do these on their own. I've tested them on my first grader. My daughter uh, did them, some of them for me, and I watched how she handled everything and how she managed her materials and the kind of the timing and the pacing of everything. So if a first grader can do this on her own, I know that that any student really can. So each lesson is actually um, on a Google slide deck. So I I did that on purpose because I knew that would be easy for teachers to access. And because these are pretty big files, right? So we need to make it um, easily accessible, easy to email uh, and get those to you. And uh, students actually, the, the slide deck walks them through the practice of a common core phoneme. Like I said, there's 37 different ones and it has a teacher-led video lesson and then also independent practice activities. And um, you can either assign those or not, depending on how you want your students to handle that. But the best part to me is that these are hands-on lessons that students actually do using items they already have at home. So if they have a pencil, a paper, and maybe even a pair of scissors, you know, briefly, they're ready to go. So it's it's very, uh, very friendly. 
um, as far as materials go. And I designed them this way so that they can easily be done just using a smartphone. You don't need to have a fancy, you know, laptop or tablet, or anything like that. If you can access or send, you know, an email or even send a link to a parent on their phone, then a student can actually engage in these lessons. So if you go to litcentric.com in the shop tab, these uh, lessons will be under the product section. They're called Remote Learning Video Sound Along Phonics. I hope you'll check them out. I've got samples there for you, uh, things you can take a look and see what lessons look like, and you can watch a video um, to see how that goes. And I know they will help your students for sure. And something else that you may not be aware of uh, is a video actually designed just for you. It's a teacher video, and it's actually about remote guided reading instruction. So there's a video, um, it's on letscenter.com, again, in the shop tab. It's under the freebie section this time, and it's actually a webinar style. So it's about 40 minutes long, and uh, it actually goes through getting you up and running, doing remote guided reading with students, I focus in on three specific goals that you should have for yourself and for remote guided reading to keep it, frankly, very realistic and doable for you. And it, it uses only free resources. And I have one specifically that I'll walk you through that I think is your best option. Um, and again, it's free for teachers, you know, through the end of the school year. But of course, you can use other options too. You're not limited. And uh, the best part is it actually uses really minimal technology. So you can use resources that your district's already provided. Everything I suggest is absolutely free. Um, and I think it's definitely, like I said, a doable way to handle uh, those small group guided reading situations for the remainder of the school year. Now, if you've never done a guided reading training with me before, I even walk you through my favorite lesson planning template. It's very tiny for very brief lessons because we know guided reading lessons are supposed to be really small and very focused. And I show you the original template that I normally use when I'm working with students and then specifically how I've modified it for uh, remote guided reading for the remainder of the school year. And so it's really clear in there uh, the decisions and the pivots that I've made and I, you know, why I've made those suggestions. And there's even, uh, you can download that modified template to use uh, with your own students. So I hope you'll check that out. Again, the Soundalong Phonics remote lessons and remote guided reading video are atlascentric.com in the shop tab. All right, so in today's episode of Litcentric Radio, I'm excited. We're going to take a look at writing instructions using the text Balloons Over Broadway. Now, this book is beautifully written and illustrated by Melissa Sweet, and it features Tony Sarg, who was the man who created the uh, Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade which those of us here in the United States are used to seeing that parade. It's been going on for almost 100 years, which is really remarkable. And of course, it's on Thanksgiving Day. If you're not from the U.S., you may not know that um, our Thanksgiving is a American invented holiday to give thanks for you know what, what we have and to be grateful for one another. And uh, it's always held on the fourth Thursday in November. So the date changes, but it's always the fourth Thursday. And in the morning, um, it's uh, I think like eight in the morning or something. It's pretty early in the morning. The, the Thanksgiving Day Parade will come on television and it's still sponsored by Macy's and it's always held in New York City. So I've never actually seen it live before, but of course I've seen it on television for years and years. And uh, this is the story of how Tony Sarg actually created the first parades and then 
really influence those uh, gigantic balloons that float down um, you know, Broadway or, or the different, you know, streets where they have the uh, parade. And so, of course, that's the real highlight of the parade and why it's so unique. So uh, the story, of course, is incredible. It's really remarkable to see how one man's imagination really came to life. And Melissa Sweet does a great job of really um, pacing this well so that students don't get bogged down in maybe some of the minutia that can happen when you read a biography. Sometimes there's a little bit too much information up front and you really just want to get to the kind of remarkable part of the story. And so uh, she does a great job of that. She gets you up to kind of the Macy's um, parade and balloon section um, with really nice even pacing in this text. So I really appreciated that. And uh, this tradition is just really amazing. And it's something that's definitely part of American culture, but I know people see it all over the world and it's just a lot of fun to watch. So I mentioned I like to think about this text specifically for writing instructions. And really, this would be a great uh, STEAM project. If you're not familiar with that term STEAM, it's science, technology, engineering, art, and math. And uh, th there's kind of a lot of layers to this lesson, and it's definitely one that can take some time, but I know it'd be very engaging for students. And you certainly could do this lesson remotely. You can really do any lit-centric radio lesson lesson remotely. If you use, you know, like, you know, Google Hangouts or Google Meets or Zoom or, you know, whatever those kind of web conferencing uh, platforms that are out there, teach your lesson with students, read them the text or have them, you know, watch or listen to the text in a different way, their audio or video or something from the library. And then uh, students actually work on their project using Again, found items at home. This is definitely something that kids uh, kids can do with very minimal materials. It's mostly about their imagination. So, uh, in this for this lesson, I love to do where students actually design their own original moving puppet. And uh, when we talk about the book today, of course, puppetry is really uh, Tony Sog's first love, and uh, that of course inspired his uh, balloons later on in the parade. So I want students to go through the process of not just making a puppet, but I really want them to understand more about uh, the design, different design phases, how you might even create a pattern and actually write instructions, either instructions for someone to uh, recreate the puppet or maybe instructions for how to operate the puppet. So they don't have to be fancy puppets. Again, they can just be you know, paper with a stick or something like that. Um, but we want them to be um, a little bit movable, something on there that um, really has an element of bringing the puppet to life. And again, you can just use found objects at home, things that you find in the kitchen or even, you know, a stick from the backyard or anything like that would work. Um, and of course, the fun part is if you have a little puppet parade, and again, you can do that remotely too, or if students um, videotape or show it on web conferencing software, the puppet that they made, I think kids would get a big kick out of that. So let's talk about today's text, Balloons Over Broadway. So I mentioned this is a biography, and it's the biography of Tony Sarg. And he was a very clever and very creative man who uh, really began being passionate about marionette puppets. And um, of course, marionette puppets being the type of puppet often made out of wood, and uh, they have those strings that hang down and the puppeteer is controlling the puppet from the strings. Um, and of course, they can make them quite lifelike um, and put on some really great shows. And uh, because, you know, Tony Sarg lived 
or really was a puppeteer, you know, a hundred years ago, that was a really um, kind of remarkable art form. That one that we certainly don't see as much anymore uh, because of all the technology we have now. But he became quite famous for his puppet shows that he did. And uh, he became very well known in Europe. And then he emigrated to uh, United States in New York. And the Macy's department store actually hired him to create a window display for them with his marionettes. And it wasn't him performing them. It was actually he had to create kind of some mechanisms um, and kind of gears and things to actually get the puppets to be controlled um, mechanically by machine so that they can just turn it on and the puppets would move and kind of put on the show um, on the uh, on the street or really in the window, right? So as passersby, they were window shopping, they would stop and really marvel at his beautiful display. And uh, the owner of Macy's department store was so delighted with it uh, that he really wanted to uh, have Tony Stark do another project for him. If they were thinking about how they could uh, really reward and celebrate their workers. And uh, a lot of folks who uh, were like Tony Stark, they had immigrated to the United States from lots of other countries. And uh, they, the Macy's folks wanted to um, create a parade for them because so many of the people were missing some of their outdoor festivals and things that they had had back home in their homeland. And so they decided to do a parade and they wanted it to be on held on Thanksgiving because that was a decidedly American holiday. And so they wanted to create like this new tradition for people who were new to the United States. So it started in the mid-1920s and um, Tony Starr was uh, commissioned with this idea of how do you create this beautiful parade? How do you get, um, you know, kind of the characters and the puppets and the movement and all these, you know, things to really come to life? And so over a few years, uh, the parade grew and grew and, of course, became very popular. And uh, Tony really wanted his marionettes to really be featured in the parade. But, of course, they were too small. They were only, you know, two to three feet tall. And that's way too small, of course, for a parade. So he got thinking about how to kind of flip that idea on its head and uh, create something much larger. And it was inspired actually by uh, blimps. And he thought, well, if you can get a blimp up in the air, we can certainly get something on a smaller scale up in the air that we could control, um, folks down on the ground could control and move it and really let the balloons articulate or move, you know, in a lifelike way, much like a marionette. And that's how we came to get the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. That's a wonderful story. And like I said, the pacing's great. And because Melissa Sweet is also the illustrator, her books are fabulous. She's been an illustrator on many children's books. So she writes books as well as um, is sometimes only the illustrator. And her work is very collage-like. She researched very thoroughly. It's very inspired by original drawings, original photographs that she also includes in her text. And then, of course, lots of beautiful uh, drawings and paintings done by her. So I think your students will be very inspired by the text. I know a lot of you already read this with your students and love it very much. If you've already read it with your students this year, why not just revisit it quickly with them in a remote learning lesson, remind them of the story, and get them started on the lesson we're going to talk about today. Right now, we're all missing our students and the little things that make teaching wonderful. Sharing a favorite read aloud, connecting with learners, seeing the light bulb go off when a student finally gets it. There's nothing better. And I know we're all desperate to recreate those moments online. 
and we're all worried about our students' achievement. Will they read at home? How can I check to see how they're doing? How can I best help them maintain their reading skills when I'm teaching remotely? This is where Book Taco can help. All the important things Book Taco can do in the classroom can also be done remotely in virtual classrooms. Students read, they engage in thoughtful tasks about their reading, and they share their work. It's that simple. With so many libraries and companies making ebooks and audiobooks accessible for free right now, students aren't limited to the books they have at home. And with Book Taco's collection of over 30,000 quizzes, your students won't have any trouble finding activities to match the books they want to read. I'm so thankful for Book Taco's teacher dashboard because it helps me keep track of all my students' progress. I can see which books students are currently reading, check on how much they've accomplished, provide feedback on their work, and even assign scores and grades. All of this from the comfort of my home. And because I can manage all of these things so seamlessly, it frees me up to meet with students during regular school hours so I can check in with them and support them in all the other ways they might need. If you're looking for an online solution for today's remote learning reality, then you've got to check out booktaco.com. That's booktaco.com. So when I'm asking the text-dependent questions of students, what I'm really focusing them in on for the most part is um, how the author slash illustrator included really specific information in here on the design and idea collection and process that Tony went through to uh, create this ultimate parade, right? Starting with his puppets and things and moving on. And she includes, uh, there's one in the beginning where she talks about um, how Tony's dad, when he was a child, said, you need to get up early and feed the chickens every morning. And of course, Tony didn't want to get out of bed early because nobody wants to do that. And uh, he designed a little, almost like a Rube Goldberg type of machine where he could put the chicken feed out the night before. And then when his alarm went off, he'd pull the string and it would open the gate and the chickens would come out. And that way he never actually had to leave his bed. So of course his father thought that was very clever. And um, Tony was always coming up with things like that. And that really started his kind of design and creativity process that he used. And so uh, the author and illustrator does a great job of including some information like that. She has on the very, almost the very first page, she actually has a diagram of how that chicken feed process worked. And I want to draw students' attention to some of those texts that are embedded within this larger biography because we're going to use those as inspiration for the text that we're going to create. So that actual chicken feed diagram becomes our bridge chart. And I don't quote it verbatim, but I do um, kind of go over it with students. And I want to talk about the very brief instructions that she has there. It's less about the illustration at this point and more about I want them to understand uh, what are the components of uh, the genre of writing instructions because it's a very specific one and some uh, rules that we normally follow are often broken when we write instructions and so I want to point some of those out to students and have them write some instructions on their own eventually when they create their own puppet. So for the bridge chart, I refer students to that second page of the text with that chicken feed diagram. And I also actually want to refer them later on on page four. She shows, um, she has a mock-up, uh, the author has a mock-up of the um, a notebook that Tony Sarg may have used that really is a designer's notebook. It has sketches in it, it has colors, it has samples of material. 
you know, different thoughts and ideas, a very um, kind of creative catch-all that I also want my students to start thinking about and collecting because not only do I want them to actually create the puppet, but I want them to kind of document their design process and how they, you know, stop and start and try things and fail and regroup and things like that because that's a really important um, aspect of engineering and design and that's something I want. Uh, I want students to appreciate that Tony Sarg did as well as to dabble in that on their own. So in our bridge chart, uh, this is what the instructions could sound like. They're very similar to the ones in the text, but of course they're not exactly the same uh, because those aren't my words, right? So I want to create slightly different words with the kids. But I want to show them that they're instructions. Sometimes you can call them directions, but um, I like the word instructions a little bit better for um, this type of thing. Uh, but there were four different ones in the diagram that she shared. So number one was spread chicken feet on the ground at night. Uh, number two, pull rope from bed. Number three, rope opens chicken coop gate. And number four, chickens come out and eat. So those are the basic instructions, not too many, which is great. The younger the student, the fewer instructions uh, they'll probably be able to write. Oftentimes when younger students, actually this happens with older students sometimes too, definitely students who aren't as familiar with writing instructions or don't have as much experience, they will often leave a step or two out. And uh, that's really okay because uh, oftentimes the reader can kind of fill in the gaps with the information that's missing. And it's good practice for them to see how an audience or a reader, you know, tries to interpret their instructions. Um, and then, of course, as they do that and you go through that process with them, they get better and better at realizing really all the details they'll have to include to help a reader to actually follow the instructions that they've written. But again, don't have your hopes too high if they haven't done this before. They're going to leave some things out and it's okay. So here I want to point out um, three, no, actually four specific things about instructions that I want my students to understand before I ask them to write them on their own. So first, I want them to understand there are numbered steps. Now, sometimes instructions don't specifically have numbers. They'll just say first and then next and after that, you know, they'll have transitional words or phrases instead. But to start with, it's a lot easier for my students to not have to worry about transitions and just focus in on the numbers because that will keep us sequenced. Uh, and they don't have to worry so much about how smoothly things are transitioning. They just move on to the next instruction. So I re highly recommend using numbers to begin with. And those numbered steps, luckily, are featured very prominently in the diagram in the book. So it makes it easy for kids to follow. The next thing I want them to understand is that uh, the purpose of these steps are to, to describe the actions that you want the reader to take. That is the entire purpose of them. So they need to be written as clearly and simply as possible so that um, the reader really can follow them quickly and easily and doesn't get confused or uh, misunderstand you know, a word or two that you've put in there. And oftentimes we'll actually include either a diagram or some type of illustration to accompany those instructions because that, of course, makes it easier to understand. Uh, in this case, I'm not gonna require that uh, for this first part, but uh, it's probably a good idea later on if you have something like that. Another thing I want students to know is that uh, in instructions, we use the command form of verbs. So uh, like in this case, the first instruction was spread chicken feed. So spread in the command form. Next is pull. Next is um, our rope opens. And then and that one's just kind of what happens. And then again, chickens come out. So if we're asking someone to actually do something, 
the uh, verb that we're going to use is in the command form. Okay, so that's important for them to know. And the last thing for them to understand is that oftentimes there are words missing in their uh, steps, the descriptions that they have. And often the words that are missing are the articles. So the and a and an, words like that. So the first uh, instruction again says spread chicken feed on ground at night. So spread chicken feed on the ground. We don't have the, that's actually removed. We don't have to remove articles, that's not a requirement, but I want students to understand that oftentimes they will be removed and so they have to still, I want them to recognize that so they know they have the option and also so they don't get confused if they read that on their own and they think maybe the grammar is bad or something. I want them to understand that that's actually a rule that can be broken in uh, writing instructions. Another rule that's often broken with instructions is they will often have uh, capitals at the beginning of the sentences, but sometimes there's no punctuation. There's no end punctuation. Uh, that's not always true, but it does happen once in a while. And so um, that's something, again, I want to draw students' attention to so they know that that's an option and it's not confusing later on. So once we go through this, I really want students to, again, think through how they're going to design a puppet. And uh, we're going to start with creating a little notebook. And of course, that can just be one sheet of paper. It doesn't have to be anything, you know, a specific fancy notebook, but just a place where they can collect their thoughts and sketches and document, you know, the steps they're taking, things they're trying, how they're making those changes, because that's really documenting the thinking that they're going through. And that's really going to help influence the good writing that they're going to do in the end, because the final writing task is to really create those instructions. And like I said, it's either instructions on how to create the same puppet, you know, how to actually build one for yourself, or how to operate the puppet. Because some kids may have a puppet that has a really interesting, you know, mechanism to it or something, and they might choose to write about that instead. And either one's fine because the process for instructions will be the same. Uh, but I think your students will get a big kick out of this project. It is one that can take a while. So if you're back in the classroom with students and you're planning this out, this is one that really goes through several design phases and drafting and things like that. But kids are very highly motivated. So it's a really fun one to keep them going. I would actually probably even do this early in the school year next year as well, because I think you can get kids up and writing very quickly. And because they have to go through design phases and they're drafting and they're editing and they're revising, they're actually experiencing the writing process without even being aware of it. So you can start to condition them to that. Um, and it won't be kind of a new concept when maybe they have to write a genre that's not as exciting to them. But again, please feel free to try out this lesson and or any Let'scentric Radio lesson uh, in your remote teaching and learning because all of these will translate very easily. Uh, you don't need fancy materials. You just need access to a book somehow. Either you read the book or provide them a link where someone else is sharing it with them. And uh, you can have your discussions together. You can ask your text-dependent questions and you can send students off to write and just work with them through that process. The process will be slower, right? Because it's remote teaching and learning. So your expectations will have to shift a little bit. But at least this way, you'll know that they're engaging in really high quality literacy instruction. And they're not just relegated to only practice activities or only worksheets or only digital task cards or digital worksheets, that they're getting some also some rich experiences with you. And definitely things that are not easy for their parents to replicate at home but things that you know are very much teacher-driven 
um, and things you know your students desperately need. And of course, that connection with you is going to be really important for them. So check out that book. Of course, it's fabulous. All Melissa's sweet books are great. And uh, don't forget to take a look at the free uh, video webinar on teaching guided reading remotely at letcentric.com in the shop tab. That's in the freebie section. And I hope that you'll take a look at the Sound Along Phonics remote video lessons. I designed those specifically for you. They took a very long time to create. I think once you watch one of the videos, you'll understand multiply that by 37 and, and all the editing and revising and uploading, all that stuff that goes with it. I really think it's a resource that's really going to help your students. And it's going to take some of the um, teaching shift off of you so that you can focus on um, monitoring their growth and meeting with students and keeping those connections alive. So I hope that you'll check those out and have a great day at school.